now seeing what most boys only dream about. Captain Kidd's solid gold watch, for example. Whaling was a powerful force in the evolution of the country. Much of America's culture, economy, and in fact its spirit were literally and figuratively rendered from the bodies of whales. The good news about whale restoration, because things have really changed since the 1970s. Uh, this is Dan Pauly here. He coined a term called shifting baselines in the 1990s. The idea was your baseline for what, in this case he was talking about fisheries, let's just say the ocean, was when you started your career or a young person, that was natural. That's what you, that's who first sowed the seed in Raleigh's mind of the kingdom of El Dorado. Every morning, the great lord or prince of El Dorado anoints himself with gold until his entire body is covered from the soles of his feet to his head. It's sort of an elite council of people, whoever they are. Okay, so there's really just three types. And I think that's a lot easier than remembering this sort of kind of um, difficult debate we see uh, articulated by Plato and Aristotle and Machiavelli. Okay, let's move on here. There's also the distinction between the paternal and despot, um, despot types of power. Now, how does a sovereign gain power? Well, there's two possibilities, either by institution or by force. Now. That is, a sovereign can be instituted through constitutional means. Are as resplendent as a gold object worked by the hands of a great artist. And he washes away at night what he puts on each morning, so that it is discarded and lost. And he does this every day of the year. That's the, um, what you thought the ocean was like. So if you started your career or you were young in the 1950s, abundant, large-bodied species of, of um, fish in this case. If you started in the 1980s, though, it still looked normal to you, but there were fewer species and they were smaller. And then recently, it would be even fewer species and even smaller, right? So this is the idea, the classic idea of shifting baselines, that species are depleted over time, and we just think of that as normal. That's right. They, we create the society and give someone the power. And, they, and this uh, institutional power would be, you think of um, the way the first president gained power, right? In the United States, George Washington, through vote, that was an institutional acquisition of the sovereign. By force, as if I, you know, obviously take over, or or a foreign uh, government invasion. Now in January of 1955, another series of test explosions is scheduled. Instructors are prepared to answer the questions uppermost in the minds of every participant. You are here to participate in an atomic maneuver. Atomic weapons are truly powerful, but they don't mean the end of all life as so many people think. You can live through an atomic attack and by taking common sense precautions, live to fight another day. This is not a haphazard maneuver. Careful planning for it started months back, involving activity not only here in Nevada, but also in New Mexico and wherever your home stations are. The planning mentioned by the instructor involves the movement of infantry and armored units. 
Here officers are seen setting up an assumed tactical situation to be presented later to the commanding general of Desert Rock for approval. The plan supposes that an aggressor has seized the west coast of the United States, but our troops have finally stopped him right along this position, ground zero. Here, the atomic weapon will be used. Next, our troops will attack and seize the target area. Immediately, the plans are approved. Army engineers go to work. Across the monotonous terrain of Frenchman's Flat, they set up their transits and begin to lay out the exercise area. Raleigh convinced himself not only that El Dorado really did exist, but that he knew its precise location, and he was absolutely certain that he was the man to conquer it. Stranger things have been found in the interior of South America. Who was to say that some of these stories weren't in fact true, and that there were untapped riches in South America, just waiting to be exploited if only someone would get in there and see them? But it's not always this way. Here's the good news. For some species, it's actually going the other direction. Marine Mammal Protection Act in the United States was passed in 1972. Meant no commercial hunt, no killing, no take, no direct take of marine mammals in the United States. As a consequence of that law and international agreements through the, um, the moratorium on whaling, For the first time in his life, Raleigh crossed the Atlantic. Arriving off the coast of Guiana, he journeyed up the Orinoco in search of El Dorado. seeing is marine mammal populations declined in the, in the 1970s, but they've started to increase. So here's predatory fish uh, up until 2010, still going down. Whale populations, and by the way, this is a back of the envelope um, calculation that I made. I made. Um, whale populations are increasing. So we're going to see that restoration. We're going to start seeing their influence on the oceans much more. With themselves as the sovereign. Now, institution uh, acquisition by institution is essentially what he calls paternal dominion. That means that like a parent, or we have to be a little bit careful because he also says it's not exactly the same, right? But like a parent, the sovereign in this sense is created through generation, generated through the community, instituted accordingly, and this is a sort of paternal dominion. And then despotical dominion is when by force a sovereign takes over. Okay. Now, sovereignty in all commonwealths, though, according to his view, should be understood as absolute. When Raleigh returned, he wrote a blow-by-blow -blow account of his adventures, and it became a 16th-century bestseller. I wandered 400 miles into the scented country by land and river. The further we went on, our victual decreasing and the air breeding great faintness, we grew weaker and weaker, 
when we had most need of strength and ability. Okay, and we sort of covered that. It's, it's full-fledged. It can't take it away and it can't be divided. Okay, let's talk. So then what does freedom mean? And how much freedom or liberty does a subject have in proportion to the, uh, the sovereign here? What's, what does it mean to be free or have freedom or liberty, right? And we'll use those terms synonymously. Now, what is it to be free? Here's the quote from page 108. He says, A free man is he that who those things which by his strength and wit he is able to do is not hindered to do what he has a will to do, right? It's freedom of action, right? Non-hindrance, freedom from interference. Our companies began to despair. The weather being extreme hot. The river boarded with very high trees that kept away the air and the current against us every day stronger than other. Raleigh had told his men that it was just two or three days' journey upriver. A month later, El Dorado was still nowhere to be seen. Now, on the consistency of freedom, here's what he wants to say is that fear and liberty are consistent. Liberty and necessity are consistent. And the reason he has to put these down is because if liberty and fear aren't consistent, or if liberty and necessity aren't consistent, because remember, it's out of fear and necessity that the state emerges. If those things aren't consistent with freedom, then we're going to end up with a really, really problematic situation in which the sovereign, in which there is no freedom, or it would be possible um, for um, for the for the government to take away all of your freedom to alleviate your fear, to take away all of your freedom to alleviate necessity. He doesn't think that, right? He wants to argue that the correct form of society is a society that has liberty and it's rationally consistent. Now, the other idea here is that liberty of the subject is also consistent with the unlimited power of the sovereign, right? The unlimited power of the sovereign. On the banks of the river, they met an Indian chieftain called Topiawari. He told them that he was 110 years old and that he knew of the golden man. I asked what nations those were which inhabited on the further side of the mountains. He answered with a great sigh that he remembered in his father's lifetime that there came down into the valley of Guiana a nation from so far off as the sun slept. They had slain and rooted out so many of the ancient people as there were leaves in the wood upon all the trees had now made themselves lords of all. So, he thinks all of these things are consistent. Now, by the way, if you don't like Thomas Hawes, then the thing to do would be to attack him on this. Because if it isn't consistent, then his whole system here begins to unfurl. Okay. Now, let's go over a couple other details here. The liberty of the subjects consists in the liberty from covenants. Now, what does that mean? That means my freedom consists in, in, um, in the relation I have with the covenants I make and the covenants that I don't have, that I don't have. That's what liberty is. Liberty is related to this covenants or these promises that we make. Now, subjects have the liberty, the natural liberty to defend their own bo bodies, even against the, the, even against those that are lawfully invading. 
Um, and they also have liberty not to injure themselves, both physically and morally or mentally. Um, so you always have this freedom, right? That the sovereign, even an unlimited sovereign, can't take that away from you. Now, the greatest liberty of the subjects depends on the silence of the law. Now, this is a very interesting passage he, he has here. Uh, what is he, and it's between pages 108 and 140, 114. The idea is this, is that when there is no law about something, that means that I'm free to do it. If, so the more silence there is in the law, the greater the liberty of the subjects. So how great my liberty is depends upon the silence of the law. And here's where, for instance, people who call themselves politically conservative in the United States um, really are adhering to this idea, right, is that we should have less laws to promote liberty. If you're a libertarian, you certainly agree with that, right? Um, though we should say Thomas Hobbes is not a libertarian. Um, but, um, but this is the sort of notion here. It's the greatest liberty of subjects depends on the silence of the law. Now, the next thing here is the subjects are resolved that they're due to the sovereign. The question is, when do I not have a duty to do what the sovereign commands, right? Well, number one, when they're no longer protected by the sovereign. That's fundamental, because remember, the fundamental sort of linchpin of the whole system is protection, safety. Now, if I can't be protected by the sovereign, that sovereign no longer has right over me, right? Because that means the contract, well, I have to be careful, the covenant, the pact has been dissolved. Now, that would include cases of captivity, right? It would include cases where the sovereign relinquishes their authority, or if, if one is banished, Two weeks ago, in a speech I heard the president say, this is not the time to let down our guard when it comes to the Soviet Union. Radical change brings chaos. Turn back our bombers. Stop our subs. No, never. I must be talking to somebody else. You know damn well who this is. You're making a monumental mistake. BBN Technologies, Innovation on Demand. Raytheon BBN Technologies is one of Raytheon's premier research and development centers. Um, World-class quantum research team. So we're talking quantum computing, quantum sensing, quantum communications. So we're talking lightning fast uh, computer systems. These computer systems are designed based on properties that are timeless uh, with certain elements. There's, there's a particular element that can, sh that can show an on-off. Counterfeited the code so that the orders appeared to come from me. I don't see how they could. What happens if the Takamo planes receive conflicting orders? What's going on, sir? Did Alice turn the B-52s? I asked you a question, sir. He did. He turned them. What did the Russian bombers do? The Russian bombers turned in response, didn't they? You can't even consider using the sub Talk now. to me about conflicting orders. The Soviets couldn't send us a clearer signal. But they've given us, Admiral, is a clear military advantage. Our subs against the remaining ICBMs, no contest. Uh, with no time between them. It's sort of like outside of time. And they're actually using this 
on off switch with this element in these quantum computers that's why they're so much faster than the standard computer you see today I did some research on it even 10 years ago they've been around for a while software has been a major part of every generation of North American tactical IP military network so in other words they're putting this quantum computing in uh, various tactical vehicles and such okay um, shooter detection dismounted troops automated monitor monitoring and translations of foreign languages if you can conduct attack more plans you can bet E4 can if the subs get conflicting orders they will fire as planned in one hour I don't know what to say general except thank you no thanks necessary, Mr. President. Alice, will you call again before? Before we ram him. Sure. Here. One of these? These are girls, smoke, Sam. My wife says they won't kill me as fast. Red Fox One. You're not going to bring us down? What's the point? Our carrier's gone. We've got no place to land. Not going to drag you down with us. I think he works at Raytheon. Yeah, actually, he does. <laughs> I know a guy that works at Raytheon. And he was telling me about how they came up with this very, uh, very complex, uh, I don't know if you would say a logarithm, but basically what it does is it changes the frequency at all times. And it, it makes the frequency so low that it, it, it can be um, confused with static. And then they have it uh, continuously changing. And you have to know what it's changing to to pick up the signal. He was actually telling me how the thing worked. Their latest communication systems, how they work. So it's continuously changing the frequency. And the frequency is 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 low enough to where it could be confused with static this way you know it's very very difficult for the enemy to pick up the the you got an id i believe it's the looking glass sir what the hell are they doing there yes fargo damn evade him He found the Spanish were waiting for him. There was a pitched battle. Raleigh's son Watt was killed. It had been a lunatic scheme that had ended in failure. <laughs> 
and he blamed everyone but himself. El Dorado had only ever existed. Gentlemen, we must now regard the looking glass plane as an enemy aircraft manned by treasonous men. Flanders, I look to you to keep him off us. No more flying around radioactive clouds, understood? Yes, sir. That'll be all, gentlemen. Thank you. Dismissed. Jamming us? No, but they can listen over their two bonus satellites, sir. Where are they? Right now they've got one over the Atlantic and one over the Pacific, sir. Okay, we're in business. Give me a hookup. It'll be difficult, but I'll try, sir. Sorry, sir, I'm getting nothing from the Takamo planes. Try the low frequency channels. His dreams of wealth and honor and his hopes of final redemption were now dead. The age of Elizabeth's pirates was at an end. Four hundred years after their deaths, the legacy of both Raleigh and Drake is still controversial. You can't... There they are. Where? Yeah, I see them. Looks like they're going back on a straight course. They're going to take the rats, too. This is going to make it tougher. You doing good, Smitty? Am I approving the odds? About 90 to 1. Ladder number six! Shut it down! interesting and remarkable men. If it wasn't for that risk-taking, that element of risk-taking that can be described as sheer lunacy at times, they wouldn't have done what they did. At the end of their lives, their reputations were in eclipse. Only later would they be remembered as heroes. Both Drake and Raleigh become major figures in maritime myths when the British... 57 hours exactly. We're counting seconds now, Alice. The fate of this planet may be riding with you. Yes, sir. Smitty, burn out every fan in those engines. That five minutes was all over. Yes, sir, we'll try. Will somebody give me a cigarette? A real cigarette! Going full for our stall engines. Roger that, 
we are still descending. Damn it, we're not gonna make it. Too rough to test, prepare to check. Wait, wait! We are holding altitude. We are holding altitude. I think we got a chance. Roger that. They're the bulldog breed and that they're natural sailors. They appeal to the romantic sensibility and they are perhaps more important in their afterlife than they are during their lifetime. When Raleigh returned to England after the disaster of his second Guiana expedition, he was a ruined man. The death sentence of 1603 was still hanging over his head. But for more than a month, King James did nothing. It was as if he wanted Raleigh just to slip away. Roger that. Looks like the storm's breaking up. Excuse me, sir. Yes? We've just reached the Tacoma plains. You've got to bring down your authenticator card. Oh, in heaven's name, did you do that? We went through two Russian satellites to reach our planes. How's that for sticking it to them? Good work. Let's get on to it. Excuse me, sir. Where the hell is Alice? Right on our tail, sir. Keep that bastard off us for 15 minutes if you want to win this war. Win? I thought we were supposed to stop this thing. Ironically, scientists are dependent for laboratory specimens and raw data on the whaling industry itself. London biologist Ray Gamble has the cooperation of a shore-based whaling station in Durban, South Africa. Here, Whaling is a rational, efficient enterprise with little left to chance. The vessels operate as much as 180 miles offshore, and a large part of their catch is in sperm whales. Herds live in these waters the year around, but they are not easy to find. Spotter aircraft flying up to 10 hours a day are the extra eyes of the whaling fleet. Beside the pilot sits the spotter, an experienced whaler. Atomic weapons are truly powerful, but they don't mean the end of all life as so many people think. You can live through an atomic attack, and by taking common sense precautions, live to fight another day. This is not a haphazard maneuver. Careful planning for it started months back, involving activity not only here in Nevada, but also in New Mexico and wherever your home stations are. The planning mentioned by the instructor involves the movement of infantry and armored units. Here officers are seen setting up an assumed tactical situation to be presented later to the commanding general of Desert Rock for approval. Right, and the other thing here is that oftentimes we refer to Thomas Hobbes in terms of social contract here, but Strictly speaking, he doesn't flesh out a social contract, right? Because he doesn't think there's a contract that's the basis for it. Rather, it's not just a contract, he calls it a covenant, right? Um, right, but the government is a free gift to the governed by the citizens. Um, that will make a little bit more sense. But it's sort of kind of the way we might quickly sort of talk about Thomas Hobbes. I think we can use, lump him in with other social contract theories, but we should be careful be a careful here talking about this. Because he did because he's he's not a contractual job person. Um, finally, all states he thinks need an absolute sovereign, but that need not be a monarch.
monarch, right? So even though Thomas Hobbes certainly talks a lot about monarchy, and I think for the most part, he thinks monarchy is the best form of government, and, ab and he talks about that idea there has to be an absolute sovereign. For him, a sovereign is merely that that body which has, has the absolute right to dispense the law, right? And that can be an assembly of some sort. So um, even though he's principally sort of thinking of monarchy, and that's the type of government that principally exists when he's alive, his philosophy is explicitly open to the possibility of other types. Having gone through the academic ritual of reading Moby Dick in school, I already knew about whaling, especially its golden age during the mid-1800s. But the painting continued to stir my curiosity, and soon I discovered that there were libraries devoted to whaling, providing almost unlimited material for a historical narrative. An acoustical biologist from Rockefeller University, Roger Payne, meets them there each year and lowers special underwater microphones to record their songs. Until a few years ago, it was believed that these 40 to 50 foot beasts were probably mute. In fact, they make some of the most extraordinary sounds known in the animal kingdom, though no one yet knows why they sing or even how. There is still much to be learned about whales, and perhaps even more to be learned from them, if they survive. Man is their only enemy. Uh -huh.